You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Albany Adams. My husband, Chad, and I um, attend the McLean Community Group here at Redeemer. Um, I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. All right. Hey, good morning. Good morning. My name is Zach Tharp, and this is my wife, Kimbra, down here. Our oldest is Isla, and we've got a four-year-old redheaded girl running around back here, we think. She's got, she's got red hair, so at some point she may be running around in here. We have any redheaded people kind of, yeah, yeah, I thought it was just a stereotype, a stigma, like, hey, that's just something you hear about. No, we had a kid with red hair. We found out what it's all about. Uh, we are currently at Redeemer Church in Brady, Texas. Um, I was on staff at Redeemer Midland for a while, and uh, the pastor, Peyton Behrens, came from Redeemer Brady and preached at Redeemer Midland back in September of 2021. And in the introduction to his sermon, he was talking about the importance of planting churches, not just in big cities, but all over. Uh, small town is a good gospel-centered missional church. And uh, in that moment, I felt the Lord stirring my heart for two things, for church planting and for moving back to the Brownwood area, somewhere that's home for us. And so we relocated back to the Brady area, uh, going through the church planting residency with Redeemer Brady, and we, uh, if it is the Lord's will, we are looking to plant Redeemer Brown, uh, Brownwood uh, next year in 2024. And so a little bit about us. I'm, I re- originally grew up outside of the Abilene area, small town, Holly. It's about 600 people, 2A school, uh, 2A Division uh, One state champions this year. I have to mention that because when I was in school, we were one of the worst teams in Texas, and that's, that's not exaggerating. Uh, every year, we'd either be 0-10 or 1-9, 2-8 if we could play like a six-man school uh, with 11 people. Sometimes we could beat them. We, all of our road games were always homecoming games. That's how bad we were. Uh, we were so bad that at one point, we were one of four 2A schools in state history to never make the playoffs. I mean, it was, we were historically, historically bad. So we went undefeated this year, 16-0, state champs. So that feels good. Uh, football. We're in Odessa. We got to talk about football, right? So, uh, big Friday, Friday Night Lights fan. The book, the movie, the show, all of it is great. Uh, so, I'm originally from Holly, outside of Abilene. My wife is from Bangs, which is near Brownwood. That's kind of our connection to going back to the Brownwood area. Uh, I was in radio, sports radio, for a number of years, and God called me to ministry in 2012. And so, as a 29 year old, I went back to college at Howard Payne University. 
uh, finished a degree in youth ministry while working as a youth minister at First Baptist Bangs for about five years. Uh, from there, we pastored a church in South Texas, First Baptist of Alice, for four years, and then from there came to Midland for a while uh, to serve as outreach pastor at Redeemer Midland, and now we're looking to plant Redeemer Brownwood next year. So that's a little bit um, about us. We, have, uh, we brought some prayer cards so that y'all can be praying for us and keep up with us. They're up here on the communion tables as you leave today or go or take communion. Feel free to grab one of those. We would love for y'all to partner with us in prayer. We need prayer partners all over. Uh, the task of church planting is enormous, is huge. Y'all are living it. Tanner is living it. Uh, and you know how much prayer can impact uh, the planting of a church to reach God's people uh, to spread the gospel where, where you're located. And so we need prayers. So that's a little bit about us. Our, our scripture today, we're looking at Ephesians 3, chapter 14. So Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. You may already be there. Uh, or if you're looking at your Bible app on your phone, don't turn your phone over, but go to where Ephesians 3 is on your Bible app. Paul opens up by saying, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. It's important that we note first, why is he praying? He says, for this reason, so what's the reason? To get to the reason, we've actually got to go back to chapter 2. Chapter 3 starts off, Paul's about to pray, and then there's kind of a digression. He's like, you know, I I bow my knee before the Father, and he's like, wait a minute, hold on assuming you've heard about, and then he, he kind of digresses for a while. So we get to 3.14, and he's like, okay, this is the reason I'm praying. But you go back to chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. This is why he's praying. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the reason that Paul is praying. Paul is praying because the mystery of the gospel is that God has taken Jews and Gentiles, two people who hated each other for years and years and years, and in the mystery of the gospel, God is bringing these two groups together to form one people. He says, I'm bowing my knees before the Father to pray for you because you're now, these two separate groups are now going to be united. It's interesting, there's a, a neat parallel in the Bible with this prayer. And then also, if you go back, go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon is praying and he's kneeling at the dedication of the temple. And so the temple where God would reside, the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament, Solomon is bending his knee before God and praying at the dedication of the temple. And here in Ephesians, Paul is doing the same thing, but he's not dedicating a building. He's dedicating these people to the Lord as they grow up into Christ. Christ is the cornerstone, the head of the church, the cornerstone of this temple. Paul is praying for them. So there's a neat parallel with Solomon praying in 1 Kings and Paul praying for the church, which is the temple, because Jesus intends to dwell in them. He, he, he intends to dwell in their hearts. He's taking these two people, and he's going to bring them together. The young lady that was up here earlier, did you say your name was Albany? This is really cool. So these two groups that God is going to bring together, Jews, Gentiles, he's bringing them together as one. 
When I was in high school my, at Hawley, uh, my freshman year, after my freshman year, we were going to play summer league basketball. Um, and we didn't have enough people to form a team to be in the Jones County Summer League. And so the administrators of the Summer League said, hey, if y'all go form up a team with some of these guys from Albany, they don't have enough players either, but together y'all could, pl- y'all could play together if you wanted to. But we hated them. We hated those guys. Another short aside, Albany was the other 2A state champions this year with Holly. So Holly and Albany, both 2A state champions in football this year. So they say, Jones County Summer League, y'all want to play basketball, you got to play together. And we hated them and they hated us, so we said, we're not going to do it. (laughs) But we thought, you know what? Playing basketball with some people we hate is better than not playing basketball at all. And so, and we weren't great And they weren't great, but something magical the Lord did that summer is he brought these two groups of people who hated each other together, and we won the Jones County Summer League Basketball Championship that summer, in the summer of 1999. And we were not good, but together, we had a common goal, we were united, all of a sudden it wasn't maroon and white versus red and white, Holly versus Albany, we were one team, we were one team, we worked together, we were unified, and as we got to know each other, we realized you know what, just because they're from 30 miles away from us, they're not so bad. We always looked at them as snob. It's funny, where we grew up, any town, any other school was always the snobby school. That happened where you grew up, but then you realize like everybody might have thought that about you too, and so it's just like you, you just didn't like people based on where they lived. So these Jews and Gentiles, they hated each other, but the mystery of the gospel is that God's going to bring them together. These two groups, he's bringing them together. So Paul says that he's going to pray, he's going to pray for them. Well, who is he praying to? He talks about the aspects of the Father. Verse 15, he says he's praying to the Heavenly Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul, once again, draws their mind to unity, the Heavenly Father of which every family on earth is named and created in his image. There is no person you will ever meet as you go through the lot, this life, who is not created in the image of God. There is no person you will meet in this life who, if they will, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, turn from their sin, they can be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that, that faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, y'all been through this, what does it say? Ephesians 1, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses and God raised us up back to life. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. That's the mystery of the gospel, that God would save us. There's nobody we will ever meet who wasn't created in the image of God and whom Jesus did not die for. So we know know why Paul is praying for them. They need to hold this unity because Jesus, it says, like, he, he killed the unity. He killed the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus died for it. He killed that hostility. And if they're not careful, if we're not careful, we can try to resurrect that hostility from the grave. And so Paul says, I'm going to pray for you because you're going to need it. Because the enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for people to devour. So Paul says, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. We know who he's praying to. Now we, we look at What is he praying for them? Paul prays for increased spiritual strength for the church. Paul prays for increased spiritual strength for the church. Now, why do they need spiritual strength? 
Well, it's because of that, because Jesus had killed that hostility between them. They've got, he's praying that they would have spiritual strength to walk in love. These are two groups that used to hate each other. Now they're going to be together. And there's, there, there's these gospel outposts, these churches in and around Ephesus that God has put in place, these spirit-formed communities, so that they can be a witness for what God is going to do through them and in that area. And it's not just supposed to stay with them. It's supposed to flow out into the community the same way with this church, this group of people, Redeemer Odessa. We don't just come together each Sunday. What do y'all call them, community groups? Community. We don't just come together for Sunday gatherings and community groups and things like that just so that we can be built up. Man, God's love is going to flow through you and out into the community, the people you work with, the people you live with, your family, those who are not yet believers. It's going to flow through your kids and into their schools. And the circle of influence that God has given you, he wants to work through you to reach others. It doesn't just stay with you. No, the gospel, it transforms you. It saves you. We have been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. But that gospel work is meant to be an outflowing and an outworking to the world around you. So Paul says he's going to pray for them. He's going to pray for that unity. Now, why, why might it be hard for us today to understand, kind of grasp on to this spiritual strength? Why might it be hard for us to depend? You know, Paul's going to the Lord in prayer. Why is it hard for us at times to take things to God in prayer? So there in West Texas, there are a lot of things, a lot of obstacles in our way that can keep us from trusting in God and depending on ourselves. Think about the different identities that you may come from, the different backgrounds that you come from, and how much pride, if we're not careful, that we can be filled with to depend on ourselves. You may be an American. Like, you might have been born here, and I'm an American, red, white, and blue all the way. This is, this is Memorial Day weekend, right? Yeah, my grandfather was killed in Vietnam. He was 27 years old. He took a sniper's bullet through the neck, getting off a helicopter to lead a charge to take a hill to kill some bad dudes, and they killed him. This is, that's what Memorial Day is about. Like, man, so as Americans, we've got a lot of pride in that, man. We want to remember those who died for the country. So, like, we, man, we've got a lot of pride in being an American. You may not be an American. You may be from somewhere else. I assure you, wherever you're from, if you are, that country's probably full of a lot of pride too, Right? And so, man, we got a lot of dependence on ourselves and in our country. But we're not just Americans, right? We're Texans, yep. right? Yeah, and that's even more pride, right? Remember the Alamo? Sometimes we forget we lost the Alamo, but it's like we tell that story, right? Man, remember the Alamo? We're from Texas. I'm an American. I'm a Texan. And for us, man, we're not just Texans. What kind of Texans are we? We're West Texans. We're from West Texas. We're not from Dallas. We're definitely not from Austin. I love Austin. A lot of people don't. We're like, you know... We're, we're, not, we're not from East Texas. That's a different kind of folk. Watch the movie Bernie with Jack Black if you don't believe that. It's a great movie. I used to live there. Worked at the radio station in the movie. Short story. There's a funeral director who kills, who, uh, who kills a widow and puts her, puts him, I'm not giving anything away. It's in the trailer. The story's fascinating because there's local people from Panola County in the movie and it's amazing. Bernie, Jack Black. So like we're from West Texas. But we, man, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I don't have any boots. I didn't know they had straps. We pull them up, right? Your family. You might have a lot of pride in your family. My family taught me to do things myself. I provide for myself. What I need, I go and get. I work for. I earned it. I depend on myself. Your faith tradition. Your faith tradition might have a lot of pride. 
Whether you come from a Protestant background or a Catholic background or, or no background at all, there's pride in all of those. In Catholicism, in Protestants, hey, we broke from this. There's even pride in, in being a non-denominational church, right? We've surveyed all the denominations and we reject them all. We are non-denominational. So you see, you see all these layers. We're building American, Texan, West Texan, faith traditions all the way. We depend on those things and on ourselves sometimes to where spiritual strength, depending on God for something that we can't provide for ourselves. That there's obstacles to that. That can be really challenging. But we lay hold of that spiritual strength through faith. What does Paul pray for next? Verse 17, he says he wants them to have spiritual strength, that God would give it to them. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does it mean to dwell? It means to live in. That original word in the, the original language for dwell means settle down, to make yourself at home, to be comfortable, to be at ease. But there are two Greek words for that for dwell, and one is as it's like your permanent home, but the other one is as a stranger, as a stranger. Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Paul's praying that Jesus would dwell in their hearts, that Jesus would be at home in their hearts. Anybody ever stay somewhere like an Airbnb while the host was still there? We've done, we've done this a couple times. Uh, some of them have been better. Uh, some of them have not been. We stayed in one outside of Houston one time where the husband and wife were still there. And man, it was weird. Like we were in the living room but their room was in the like right by the living room, and we didn't know, are they working? Are they sleeping? Do they need us to be quiet? We're like tiptoeing around. We have a, like, a little baby at the time. She's going to make a lot of noise. You're just like on edge going through the house. We did not feel at home. What, think about how you act when you're at home, you know? We watch a show called The Goldbergs. Anybody watch The Goldbergs? I love The Goldbergs. Man, the dad comes home every day. The first thing he does, he drops his pants at the door. Like, he he's in his underwear. He goes sit in his recliner. That dude feels at home. Murray Goldberg, that dad feels at home. Think about how you act at home. You feel at home. You think, like, you're going to feel that way at an Airbnb, staying in somebody's house while they're there? No. Heck no. Oh, my goodness, no. And then th think about this. What do we, when people come over to our house, what do we do? Man, we're scrambling. We're closing doors to rooms we don't want people to see. We're putting all the clothes on a bed somewhere. We're hiding stuff. We're closing the dirty, the bad bathroom, like in locking it, and hopefully we can get back in there later. We're trying to have one bathroom presentable so the person can use that if they come, right? Yeah. And then what do we say when they walk in? Make yourself at home. You don't have much home left, like the couch, and the couch has laundry that hadn't been folded. Like, where do you want? But we say that, make yourself at home. But y'all, if we want real spiritual power, if you want real spiritual power, Jesus has to be at home in your heart. And he's not looking for you to close a bunch of doors and keep him out of some areas. Jesus wants to go to the messy closet. Jesus wants to go to the garage that you used to be able to drive into and park, but then you get boxes all the way around it, or maybe you left just enough room to, park, to get in, you can kind of get out. 
Jesus wants to go in to the dirty bathroom of the dirty area of your heart. He wants to clean it, disinfect it. He wants to make it new. I don't know a whole lot about Chip and Joanna Gaines. We have any like Chip and JoJo fans. I don't know a whole lot about them. But since I've been married, and especially since having one daughter who's all about home makeover, home renovation shows, something I learned a lot about is Demo Day. Demo Day. It's like, man, they're going to knock everything down. They're going to start over. They're going to rebuild. And y'all, for you and for me, Jesus doesn't want to just give us a fresh coat of paint on the outside so that we look presentable to the world. No, no, no. If you are in Christ, if I am in Christ, Jesus wants to come in, and it's demo day in the lives of our hearts. He wants to tear things down. He wants, he deserves access to everything. You know why? Because if you are in Christ, your life, your heart, everything you are is under new ownership. You are not your own anymore. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. It is demo day. And so if there are some areas of your life you're holding back on, if there are some things you don't want other people to know about you, if there's things you think you've convinced yourself you're hiding from God that Jesus doesn't know about it or deserve access to it, you, me, we are wrong. Jesus deserves it all because he paid it all for us. What does Paul pray for next? Paul prays that the church would be rooted and would be grounded in love. He prays that the church would be rooted and would be grounded in love. Anybody ever been to California? Show a hand. Anybody been to California? Anybody see like the sequoias, the redwoods? Anybody ever see those? There's some, it's a, those are really cool things. I've never been. I hope I get to go someday. But these are trees that grow to just enormous heights. A sequoia can grow up to 300 feet high. The average base of a sequoia can be as much as 40 feet in diameter, but some of them are 100 feet in diameter. That's about 30 yards of a football field. We're in Odessa. We can talk football. 30 yards of a football field. That's how big it is around. The bark, you know how like you go to a tree and get some bark off of it? Man, sometimes it's not even a couple millimeters thick. The bark of a sequoia can be 31 inches thick. But you know what the most common cause of death is for these enormous trees that are 300 feet tall? You might think bugs, pests, termites. It's not that. You might think fire. It's California, wildfires, right? It's not that. It's falling over. And you may wonder... How can trees so massive fall over? Well, these sequoias, the roots only go down 6 to 20 feet. Some of the roots may only go down 6 to 20 feet. But the thing that makes sequoias really cool, it makes them susceptible to fall over if there's wind, especially if there's ice and snow in the branches. But what makes sequoias really cool, and the reason most of them don't fall down, even though they have shallow roots, they don't grow individually, they grow in groves, which means they send out their roots to find the roots of other sequoias around them, and they intertwine and intermingle and get all tangled up in knots. And so even though the roots may only be six feet deep, they have connected their lives, they have connected themselves to all the other sequoias around them. That is how Paul is praying for the Ephesians. That is how God wants us as followers of Jesus to be rooted and grounded together. 
God is not looking for any Lone Ranger Christians. What happens to Lone Rangers? They get picked off. They get shot. They get separated. God's not looking for Lone Rangers. God wants us to grow in groves and be rooted together in love. How do you do that? Just like you're doing this morning. You're committed to the local, the, the local gathering of a body of believers. You're a part of that right now. As you are in community groups, you are rooting your lives with the lives of other believers around you. As you break into even smaller groups, two or three people to meet for prayer, to study scripture, for accountability, you are rooting your lives together with other believers the same way those enormous 300 feet sequoia trees do. Now, if you don't do that, you're going to be more susceptible. I shouldn't say you, we, me, I, we will be more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. The enemy is looking to isolate you, to have you live in guilt, in fear, and in shame, and he wants you to live like an orphan depending on yourself, but God has adopted you, and you are a son or daughter of the Most High King. You have been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You are not an orphan, and you have been given full rights as a son and daughter. You are, we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. We should be rooted together. We should be grounded together in love. Something Jesus says about love in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A lot of you probably know what he did right before this, as he talks about what love is. He washed the disciples' feet. That's the kind of love we should show one another. Servant leaders, servant-hearted, selfless, putting others, bef- others' needs before our own. That's the kind of love we're supposed to live by. And Jesus says, this is how the world is going to know you're my disciples. Think about all the things that Jesus could have said about how the world will know that we're his disciples. The world's going to know you're my disciples if you've got a gigantic building and 3,000 people. Jesus didn't say that. The world's going to know you're my disciples if you feed all the hungry and you, you clothe all the people that need clothes and, and, and you give houses to people that need houses and, there's, and you eradicate poverty in your city. The world's going to know you're my disciples. Those are all great things. Those are all things we should strive for. They're wonderful things. They're gospel things. But Jesus didn't say that's how people are going to know that we're his disciples. What did he say? The world is going to know that you are my disciples by how y'all, we're in Odessa, well, I can say y'all, but how y'all, you and y'all, how y'all love each other. That's how the world's going to know. So if you're bickering, if you're fighting, if there's disunity, we see why Paul's praying for them, all these things. The world's not going to know about me. The way the world's going to know about me is how y'all love each other. That's a serious command for us to take. He prays that the church will be rooted and grounded in love. He wants their love for each other to go deep. Why does he want their love to go deep? Verse 18, he says, so that you, so we need this, we have this love for one another, this spiritual strength, Jesus to dwell in our hearts. Why? Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Our next point, Paul prays that the church would understand the dimensions of God's love. 
Paul prays that the church would understand the dimensions of God's love. Y'all, can we just be honest? Paul is praying some impossible stuff here. He wants us to know the depths, the width, the height, the length, the breadth of God's love. He wants us to know Christ's love, which he then says and admits and states, surpasses knowledge. So Paul is saying, I want y'all to know something that you can't actually know. I want you to know God's love, Christ's love, that, but it surpasses knowledge. So even if you could know it, you actually couldn't know it because it surpasses knowledge. And he says, I want you to be fooled with the, fill, the, the fullness of God. I want you to be filled with the fullness of God. Can we be honest? How are we going to be filled with the fullness of God? How are we going to comprehend these things? It's, those are hard to comprehend. This is, okay, this is West Texas. I can talk about this. Can I, can I talk about how I can't understand something or comprehend it? I'm, I may get run out of here. I don't comprehend fracking. Like, and, I, and here's what I mean. Like, I've studied it. I can read about it. I can Google it. But I don't get how it works. Even if I read about how it works and what it is, I can't comprehend it. I live in fear that when I come visit out here or just anywhere in my life, that people are going to talk about fracking. And I don't know what it is. And I can't comprehend it. And I don't have hot opinions about it. And I, I, I can just say like this, I'm for it. Like, this is oil and gas country. I'm for it. Let's go. Yeah. But like, I can't comprehend it. So how, like, if I can't comprehend fracking... The process of injecting liquid at high pressure into subterranean rocks so as to force open existing fissures and extract oil or gas. What makes you think I can understand the, God, the love of God, the love of Christ? I can't comprehend those things. I can't do it. But what can we do? We can make ourselves more available to God to receive more of the fullness of God so that we might understand more of God's love for us, so that we might know more of Christ's love and be filled with more of God. How can we be filled with more of God? Anybody ever been to the ocean, Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean? Y'all probably done some traveling. Probably got some Indian Ocean people in here. You've been to the ocean? And maybe since we're in Midland, nobody's seen water. I don't know, Odessa. Like maybe, we're rest- maybe you haven't seen water. We can say a lake. Anybody ever been to a lake? We'll start there. Swimming pool. Anybody got a bathtub at home? Think about how can we make ourselves more available and get more of God? We got some drinkers. Anybody like shot glasses? We'll use the alcohol analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're non-denominational, so I can, talk, I can talk about drinking in here. Yeah, yeah, So think, think about you take a shot glass to the ocean. You're going to the Atlantic Ocean or Gulf of Mexico. You're taking your shot glass, and you dip it in the ocean. You've got yourself a shot glass full of the ocean, about an ounce and a half. Now, let's say you go back and you've got a pint glass. You got a pint glass, you dip it in the ocean. Now you got 16 ounces. If I'm doing my math correct, I'm public school Holly, so I don't like. <laughs> you got 16 ounces of ocean. When I worked at TGI Fridays at the airport in Dallas in Terminal B10, we had something called a schooner that was about 28 ounces. You take yourselves that schooner to the ocean, you got, tw- you got a little more ocean. You got 28 ounces. Now, if you were to take a half barrel keg to the ocean, one, people might wonder what you're doing. But if it's empty and you fill it up, you now have 15 and a half gallons of ocean or 1,984 ounces of ocean. With spiritual strength, it kind of works the same. Some of us bring God a shot glass of availability, a shot glass of our time, a shot glass of our prayer, 
And we expect God to give us a 15 and a half gallon keg, 2,000 ounces of spiritual strength. You can bring more to God. And I want to make sure this is not works-based. This isn't you. But evaluate your life. What are you bringing to God? What, how are you making yourself available to him so that he can fill you up with more of himself? Because that's what God wants. Jesus did, didn't just die on a cross so that you could meander through your life, not getting to know him more, not making yourself available to him, that you just might come and go to church and live your life and work and raise your family and retire and hopefully have some easy years as you get old. No, no, no. God wants all of your life now. He wants you to be available for him so that he can fill you up and use you, that you might be a blessing to others, that you might understand more about him. What are we bringing? How are we making ourselves available to God? So we see here Paul's really praying some impossible things. We'll close here. How are we going to do this? How does he close his prayer? Because it seems impossible, right? Verse 20, Paul says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul concludes the prayer by pointing to the God who can do above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. How is your prayer life? What are the things that you are praying for? What are the things that you're imagining? What are you imagining for your life? What are you imagining for your family? What are you praying for for your family? What are you praying for for this church, for this body of believers, for Redeemer Odessa? What are you asking and imagining that God might do through this body? Whatever it is, God has way bigger plans than that. And he can accomplish so much more. Sometimes with our prayer life, we can put our human limitations on God. Sometimes we think God has categories of what prayers he could or couldn't answer. We think, okay, God, this is easy. You could do this. Or it might be, God, this is difficult, but I think you can do it. Would you do it? And then we have a category where we go, God, this is too hard. God, you can't do this. So I'm not even going to pray. I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to imagine. You can't do it, Lord. With God, there are no categories. God can just as easily cure you of a headache like that as he could cure your body of cancer like that. Neither of those is more difficult for God. Neither of those takes more effort. I'm not saying he'll cure you of your headache. I'm not saying he'll cure you of your sickness or cancer, but should he decide to act? My goodness, what an invitation to prayer for all the things in our life that we don't think God can do or that he would. But he tells us to ask, ask, seek, knock, go to the Father in prayer because he loves you. He loves to give good gifts to you, spiritual gifts, and he can do it. And he said, Paul says, he can do more than you ask. He can do more than you can imagine. Have you experienced that in your life? I certainly have. I was on a road, like, just pursuing my sports radio dreams. My dream was to be on sports radio in Dallas, be the voice of the Cowboys someday if Brad Sham ever dies or retires. I don't think he'll ever do either. But, like, that was, that's the goal I was going towards. And then God redirected my whole life. Keep this in mind. 
I didn't ask for this. I didn't pray for this. But I did come to a point where I realized I've never prayed for God's direction in my life as far as a career. God, would you do something like, if this sports radio thing isn't from you, God, would you do something different? I didn't pray about ministry. I didn't pray about working in churches. I didn't pray about planting a church. I didn't pray about any of that. But that's what God has done with my life. That's what make me, like people in ministry, pastors, we're not special people. God's done the same thing in your life. You've seen how God's moved. You've seen how he's acted. You've seen how he's provided and shown up again and again and again. And he's done more than you can ask or imagine. And Paul tells us, go to him. He can do more than you ask or imagine. Sometimes we don't realize the value of what we have in direct access to God and what God can do. Sometimes we don't recognize the value. I want to end with this story. Danny Simpson of Ottawa, Canada, made two tragic mistakes in 1990. Desperate for money, Simpson decided to rob a bank. He visited the bank every day for a week to plan his holdup, and then the night before, Danny had dinner with his parents. While his parents cleaned up the dishes, he slipped into his parents' bedroom, and he took the 45 caliber pistol from their drawer in the nightstand beside his father's bed. The next day, he went to the bank, and he made off with more than $6,000 in cash. Pretty good haul for a day. Not a ton for a bank robber, but $6,000 is $6,000. When the Mounties reviewed the surveillance tapes, they quickly identified Simpson as a frequent visitor, and they made the arrest. Now, remember I said Danny made two big mistakes that day. The first one was robbing a bank. That's not a good idea. But his second mistake was that he stole his father's gun. His father's pistol was a very rare 1918 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic made by the Ross Rifle Company, valued at over $100,000. That pistol went to a Canadian museum as Danny went to jail. Danny made the same mistake that we make with God sometimes. He didn't realize the value of what he had possession of. He didn't realize the value of what he had. Sometimes you and I, we do not realize the value of our relationship with God. We take it for granted. We get stressed out. We get anxious. We've got a small view of God, so our prayers are small. We put our human limitations on God. But we have a Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ who lives to make intercession before the Father for us. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. If we are in Christ, we have direct access to God because of what Jesus has accomplished with his life, his death, and his resurrection. Because Jesus first went to the Father in prayer, now so can we. Because Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, we can ask for more spiritual strength. Because Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, we should make sure that he is at home in our hearts. Because Jesus showed us what love is, we should be rooted and grounded in love for one another. And because Jesus is worthy, we can ask for more understanding of the depths of his love, that we might be filled with more of his love, that it would flow through us and to others. When we find ourselves doubting God or with a small view of him and an even smaller prayers, let us remember that we serve a God who can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.